Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today, and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. This morning, I am going to begin to share some things with you that really, it was so hard for me to not preach this last week because it was something that was just really burning in my heart, but I had to finish up something else before I could get to it. So, um, so I'm excited to be able to share with you today, praise God, and um, you know, I've been meaning to say something. I'm just going to do it right here before before we dig into the Word, and uh, uh, some of you have uh, uh, asked about, checked on on my wife, and and have noticed that she hasn't been here in a few weeks, and and uh, so I, I I just want you to know that uh, uh, she's still my wife, and uh, you know she she still lives at my house. And, uh, and and we're still in love, and you know, and uh, so. But anyway, she has had some medical issues going on, and and her doctor uh, heavily suggested that she not be around people right now, and so um, that's the reason for that. And we appreciate so much those that check on her, and and uh, uh, you know, we we believe that. Uh, uh, God is raising her back up and to total restored health. And so, uh, anyway, we appreciate you all so much. Praise God. Well, it's time to get in the Word this morning. Um, I want to share, I, I'm, I'm calling this the great transition. Because, you know, something that I have, uh, that I've mentioned uh, from time to time in various contexts and various uh, things that we've been talking about was that, uh, um, you know, there is, a, there is a place in your Bible that everything changed. There is a place that, that uh, you know, and, and, and most Christians would say, well, you know, it's that page in the Bible that says, New Testament, and that's where everything from New Testament, from, from there on, everything changed. Uh, well, I want to, um, uh, I just want to say this, that's not the place where everything changed. Um, you have to look for, in your Bible, there's not a page in there that says, well, you know, here's where the transition is made. Here's where everything changed. And, and uh, but I'll tell you where the place is. Now, you're going to have to look for it to find it. 
but where it is is the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, that is the place that everything changed. So what you're going to have to do, now the reason I say you got to look for it is because I can't say it's on page such and such, because as you look through your Bible, you will find certain things occurred before the cross, and, but, and there were certain things that were said before the cross, but they were talking about something that was going to be after the cross, okay? Uh, and then there are also things that happened after the cross or were said after the cross that referred back to the way things were before the cross. And so you've got to determine, is it talking about something before the cross or something after the cross? Even though the location of it in your Bible may be in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, that's not necessarily indicative of what it's talking about. You're going to have to read, and this is why the Scripture says, study to show yourself approved. Be diligent to show yourself approved. And the reason you do is so that you may rightly divide the word of truth. Now, it says rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, so you can know, you can make a division and say, all right, this is pre-cross, this is post-cross. And you can make the division because the dividing page is not the page that says New Testament. I'll give you an example. Jesus came into this world and he ministered here, born under the law. But yet he was born after that page that says New Testament. You know, the, the record of Jesus' birth came after, it comes in the New Testament. But Jesus spent... Three years of ministry here on this earth, he ministered under the law. But then he went to the cross and he rose again from the dead. And when he rose again from the dead, everything changed. Praise God. So we've got to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Praise God. And so I want to share something with you today. And sometimes people get confused about, well, well, all right, which does this apply to us today or does this not apply to us today? Well, let me tell you, even the stuff that, that is referring to before the cross, we can still learn from it. We're, we're not throwing out any of the Bible. Okay, we're not throwing any of it out. We're not saying that there is any part of the Bible that is of no value to us. Why? Because you can read the Old Testament. You can read the stuff that refers to prior to the cross, and you can read that and see in it. In fact, the entire Bible talks about Jesus. And so all the way through, I, I like to say it this way, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says that in the book of Revelation, toward the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, he, he makes that statement, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, he who was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And, you know, and, and he says that I'm the, 
I'm the beginning and the end. Well, in the first verse of the Bible, it says, in the beginning. So there's Jesus right there in the very first verse of the Bible. Praise God. And he is all the way, he says, that he's the end. So all the way to the end, we, we can see Jesus all the way through the Bible if you learn to look for Jesus. But I'm talking today about the transition. What happened? How, was the, how did the transition take place? How did things change when we entered into this new, the Bible calls it a new and better covenant, established upon better promises? How did things change? Let's begin in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 4. It says, now consider how great this man was, talking about Melchizedek. And it says, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Now, let me explain just a little bit and give you a little bit of a backstory. Abraham got word that, uh, that these kings had come and they had, had, had made a raid and they had carried off captive some of his family. In fact, Lot uh, was the, the family of Abraham. And so he, uh, these kings had carried away the spoils. Well, Abraham got together an army of his servants within his household, and he went after them. And he defeated them, overthrew them, and, and, and took back all the spoils. But see, Custom is when you go to war in, in you know, in, in, in that time when you go to war, you don't just take back what they took. You go and you take back what they took, plus you take all their stuff too. So Abraham went and he, uh, with his army, he overthrew them and he took back the, the spoils from the battle. He, he brought home, rescued his family, rescued Lot, brought them back, and after this, he was returning from the battle with the spoils of the battle, and this Melchizedek, which we don't know a whole lot about him, we know that he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, he was a king of Salem, which Salem means peace. He was a king of peace. And he met Abraham as he returned from the battle with the spoils. And the Bible says that Abraham, uh, that he brought out bread and wine. There's a picture of the, uh, of the communion table that we partake of. Uh, but, there, but it's also a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. A beautiful picture there. He brought out oil and wine. And uh, or bread and wine, I should say, not oil and wine, bread and wine, and uh, and they partook of that together. And then 
it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of all the spoils from the battle. He paid a tithe to Melchizedek, who was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, and, and the thing that we're told about Melchizedek, it says he is, uh, uh, talks about Jesus in the book of Hebrews being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the reason it says uh, after the order of Melchizedek is because the Levitical priesthood were of the tribe of Levi. And uh, uh, Israel's tribe of Levi. And so that was the priesthood. But Melchizedek was not of the tribe of Levi. And it says with, he is without beginning and without end. In other words, we don't know where this guy came from. But he shows up. He, some believe that he was actually uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, I, I, I'm, I think you have to stretch a little bit to, to, to say that. I'm saying that it, it's, it's possible. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to say that that's who he is. But it says he has, there is no genealogy. There is no record of his beginning and there is no record of his end, which makes him a type of Christ because Jesus existed before he was born in the town of Bethlehem. Praise God. And Jesus uh, has no end. He will be, he is eternal. Praise God. And so, you, you know, you are a priest forever is what God the Father says about Jesus. You are a priest forever. Praise God. He is, he is a priest according to the, the power of an endless life. Praise God. And so now let's notice Abraham gives him a tenth of the spoils. Um, and when Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils, now notice this, that the sons of Levi were in Abraham's loins is what the Scripture teaches. In other words, uh, all of the sons of Levi were in Abraham. So it was counted as though they tithed because they were in Abraham. Now, um, let's, let's look at this. Let's go on. It says, now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser, who's the lesser here? Abraham's the lesser. Beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, notice this, here, right here on earth, right now, here, mortal men receive tithes. But there, where is he talking about? He's talking about in heaven. There, because that's where Jesus is, right? He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. So he's in heaven, and so he says, here, mortal men receive tithes. But there he, Jesus, receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For, it was, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. 
Now, I want you to see something right here. Verse number 5. Notice this. The priests were commanded to receive tithes. Now, the word receive in that verse, if you're reading from the old King James Version, that word receive uh, is act more accurately translated in your old King James Version. Because there it says that the, um, the priests were commanded to take tithes from the people. So under the old covenant, the priest was commanded to take the tithes from the people. And so uh, it literally means as a debtor or as a creditor would come and take the, the payment in the same way the priest was commanded to come like a, a, a creditor and take the tithes from the people. Praise God. Now, let's notice it goes on in verse 8. Under the new covenant, the word receive appears again here in verse 8. But it says the word, uh, this word receive in verse 8. Let me read verse 8 one more time. Here, mortal men receive tithes. Now, receive, it's a different word now. In verse number 5, uh, uh, it was the, the Greek word, apodikato. But here in verse number 8, we see the word receive is actually the Greek word, lambano. So it's two different words. And this time, receive is the correct translation. All right? So receive means to receive or accept what is offered. So we being New Testament believers, you know, the, the tithe is not compulsory for New Testament believers. But we bring it and we offer it of our free will. This is why the Scripture tells us God loves a cheerful giver. You know, you can't cheerfully give what is mandated of you. You can't cheerfully give what is required of you. Under the old, the priest, it was mandated that you bring the tithe and that, that the priest would take the tithe. But here, mortal men receive what is offered freely from your heart. Praise God. This is why, you know, we, we purpose in our heart that we will never twist your arm to tithe. You know, we, we, we're not going to require that you tithe. Do I believe in tithing? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes, I believe in tithing. But we're not going to pressure you to tithe. Because here, now, under this new covenant, we receive what is offered from a, from a free and generous and grateful heart. Now, in verse 8, it goes on and it says, Of whom it is witnessed 
that he lives, even Levi, who receives tithes, um, you know, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. But, but notice here, let's, let's back up just a bit. In verse number 8, it says, He received there in heaven, he, Jesus, receives tithes. So when you bring your tithe of a free and generous and grateful heart, and you bring it, and we receive what you are offering, it says there he receives them. But we have a third word here that is translated receive. Now, this word, this word from the Greek is the word martyrio. Now, this word is where we get our word martyr from. And you remember the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, it says that uh, uh, you shall receive Power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the word uh, witnesses there is the same root word um, as martyria here, and it, it, it is the word martus, uh, and that word literally means a witness. One whose life and actions testify to the worth and the effect of their faith. This word martus is, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, is translated as witness. But it's the same root word right here. It says, there he receives the tithe. But actually, the word receives is really... Not, I mean, that, that word by itself is really not in there. Uh, it is really one of those italicized words in your Bible, which means it was added by translators. But here, but the word martyria does appear, and here's, what it, here's how it is, is, is translated here, of whom it is witnessed. Now, let me help tie this all together for you because I know that that was kind of a, a little rabbit trail that we had to, had to take to get where we want to be. But now that we're there, let's, let's bring this all together. So are you, are, am I saying that there he does not receive your tithes? No, there he does receive your tithes. But here it, it, is, it is telling us of whom it is witnessed, of whom it is witnessed. Who is it, who is it a witness of? Let's read this again. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father Melchizedek uh, when Melchizedek met him. Um, but... Let's back up just a little bit. Let's, let's read this. Um, verse 7. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. 
Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there, let's take out the italicized words and say, but there of whom it is witnessed. What is witnessed of him? That he lives. So here's the deal. When you bring the tithe, we're not here to take the tithe. We are here to receive what is freely offered from a grateful heart. And there, does Jesus receive your money in heaven? You know, think, think about that. Does Jesus receive your money in heaven? What would Jesus do with money in heaven? He has no use for money in heaven. We have use for money here on earth, but he has no use for money in heaven. So what is it that he is receiving? And when you bring your tithes of your free and grateful heart, and it is received here, there he receives something, but it's not money. It is witnessed there. He receives the witness there. And what is the witness? The witness is that he lives. So in other words, you bring your tithes, we receive it from your grateful heart, but there it is a testimony to what you believe. And Jesus receives the witness and what it says to him when you bring your tithes, what it says to Jesus in heaven is, I believe that you live. I believe that you are risen from the dead and you live and you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you are making intercession for me and I believe I live because you live. You're making a statement in heaven. There's no need for money in heaven, but there is need for a witness in heaven before the throne of God that I believe that he lives. So when you bring your tithes, praise God, don't think of it as, well, you know, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just taking my money and I'm just giving it to the church. No, think of it, I am making a statement. Here, the money is received for the work of the ministry to support the work of the ministry, but you are making a powerful statement in heaven as to what you believe. Praise God. He lives. And because he lives, praise God, I am empowered to bring in increase. Because of what Jesus did in his work, he provided the ability for us. The Bible doesn't say that, you, you know, you shall remember the Lord your God, that it is he who gives you money. No, it is we are to remember the Lord our God. It is that he is the one who has given us the power to get wealth. Praise God. How did he give you the power to get wealth? The Bible says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was poor, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Praise God. And, and when you bring the tithe, you're making a statement in heaven. I believe that he became poor so that I, through his poverty, might become rich. He is risen from the dead, and everything that he died to provide for me has now been accomplished because he now lives again. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, that's one, now, now get this. Here's what I want you to understand. And we, we took all that time to get to this point. There was a transition that took place. The action is the same. Bring the tithe. Same, same action. When you bring a tithe, what do you bring? You bring a tenth of your increase. So you bring the, the tithe. Under the old, you brought the tithe. You brought a tenth of your increase. Under the new, you bring a tenth of your increase. But the action being the same, but the heart about the thing is now different. That's what's changed. Praise God. See, here's the deal. We're not under law. We're not under the Ten Commandments. But every one of the Ten Commandments is still a good idea. It's still a good way to live. It's still the blessed way to live. Praise God. Here's what the Bible says. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, isn't that still the blessed way to live? Praise God. Here's that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Isn't that the blessed way to live? You see, under the old, you did it because the law commanded you to do it. Under the new, we do it because it's the blessed way to live. Praise God. Under the old, we brought the tithe because it was commanded. Under the new, we bring the tithe because it makes a witness in heaven. Praise God. Under the old... You don't commit adultery. Under the new, under the old, you don't commit adultery because that was the command. Under the new, you don't commit adultery because you love your spouse. Praise God. The heart is different. The motivation is different. Praise God. Under the old, you don't steal because it was commanded, don't steal. But under the new, you don't steal because you don't need to steal because your Father provides for you. Praise God. Praise God. Now, the transition that took place there, it wasn't that now, oh, we get to break all the commandments now. No, that's, if that's what you're thinking, you're not understanding this thing at all. Praise God. You know, we don't break the commandments because we believe that God knows the better way to live. Praise God. Praise God. Now, same action, different heart. Praise God. Praise God. Same action, different heart. 
Praise God. Now, in Exodus chapter 19, you see, God has always favored grace. God has always wanted to, you know, to, to deal with his people on a grace basis. Do you realize that for 1,400 years from Adam until Moses, there was no law? Ten Commandments didn't come till 1,400 years after the fall. Now, you want to know when the Ten Commandments came or when the law came. In Exodus chapter 19, verse number 1, it says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and all the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, when, when, or then you shall be a, now notice this verse right here, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of pre, uh, a, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Now, in, he's saying you're going to be a the whole kingdom. The whole kingdom's going to be priests. The whole kingdom is going to be special to me. The whole kingdom is going to be a holy nation set apart for me. And this is how God wanted to deal with the children of Israel. Praise God. His plan and his purpose was not to give the law. 1,400 years, they didn't have a law. Now, notice what's, going, notice what's about to take place here. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded them. And then all the people answered together and said, notice what they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Those were faithful words. Why, why, why was that so important? Because at that moment, they were boasting of their self-effort, their ability to, by their own self-effort, do everything that the Lord said. They said, you, Lord, you just tell us what to do and we'll do it. And, and from those words on, God began to shift how he dealt with people. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Moses told the, the words that the people said. He told the Lord, he said, they said to tell you that they'll do everything you say. We can do this. We got this. They were relying upon their ability to do everything the Lord said. Now, we know as we study the Scriptures, we know that no one, not one person can perfectly keep the law. There's nobody that can perfectly keep the law. Yet that's what they were boasting. They were saying, you just tell us what to do, we'll do it, no problem. And then notice he, he said, uh, um, so Moses told these words to, uh, of the people to the Lord. In Exodus chapter 19, verse number 5, Notice this, God's plan was, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, in Exodus chapter 28, verse number 1, we find out what the job of a priest is. The job of a priest is to minister to the Lord on behalf of the people. You see, there, there are prophets which hear the word of the Lord and tell it to the people. But the priest is on behalf of the people to the Lord. It's the other way. Praise God. Now, um, God said, I want you to be priests to me. I don't want you to have to come through an external mediator. I want you to be able to come directly to me what he said. God, God said, I, I want th this whole nation, I want you to all be priests. I want you to all be able to come directly to me and talk to me and, and, and communicate with me and, and fellowship with me. I want all of you to do that. And they said, Moses, you go tell the Lord we'll do whatever he says. Now, In 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to notice the words of Peter here. Now, this is after the cross. We talked about it earlier. So this is after the cross. Something changed at the cross. So notice here what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1 says, Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking as newborn Babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. So Jesus was chosen by God. Now, uh, notice that he says that he is a living stone. Now, when Moses went up on the mountain, we find out in, in Exodus chapter 32 that Moses came down off the mountain. He had in his hand stone tablets on which the commandments were written. But here we see, it's talking about Jesus, the stone which the builders rejected says that he is a living stone. He is a living stone. He says, I want you to come to the living stone. We're not going to go to that old stone tablets, but we're coming to the living stone, which is Jesus. Praise God. And he says, stone of stumbling. Why? Because some people stumbled over Jesus. He says he was the rock of offense. Because some people were offended. They, they, you know, the, the question was, if you read Paul's writings all the way through, read Paul's writings over and over and over again, he's talking about the, the, uh, the law which was engraved on tablets of stone and how that people couldn't get past that and they couldn't believe that you could actually be righteous before God without keeping what was written on the stones. But God says, if you'll come to Jesus, the living stone, in him all of the commandments are fulfilled. Praise God. Now, he says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed, but you, he says, but, but you're different, okay? Here he's about to say something to you. Something's different about you. Here he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Doesn't that sound a lot like what God said back in the to the, to the children of Israel, I want you to be my own special people. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. You are a chosen generation, a royal kingdom, priesthood, a, a, a kingdom of priests. He was saying to them, I want you to all be priests to me. Now, after Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the dead, now he says, you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood or a kingdom of priests. God went right back. To that, that, that shows us that that was always God's plan from the very beginning. God's plan was never to deal with you on the basis of law. How many, how many Gentile believers do we have in the room today? Okay. If you're not a Jew, you're a, a Gentile and if you're a believer, then you're a Gentile believer. Praise God. So I, I think, you know, to my knowledge, there's not any Jewish believers in the room. So that would mean that we're all Gentile believers. Did you know that Gentile believers never had the Ten Commandments? They were never given to you. 
So why do we want to go back under the law? God never gave it to you in the first place. He gave you the rock of stumbling, the rock of offense, the, the stone, the stumbling stone. He gave you, Jesus, the living stone. Praise God. And he doesn't want you to come to the Ten Commandments. He wants you to come to the living stone. Praise God. Praise God. See, here's the deal. When we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He moves on the inside of you, and He begins to live His life through you. That's how God always wanted to do it. We say, well, you know, God dwells in the Holy of Holies. Well, guess where the Holy of Holies is right now? In you. In you. Praise God. Praise God. Now, here he says, you're my own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Praise God. Praise God. You have obtained mercy. Praise God. Now, look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse number four says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Do you know that the law is called the ministry of death? Think about that. The law is called the ministry of death. Why? Because the failure to keep it, which you inevitably will do if you uh, approach on the basis of the law, the failure to keep it, the penalty for it is death. So it's called the ministry of death. So when, in other words, when, when you are under the ministry of the law, it, it's going to produce death because you can't keep it. But when you come to the living stone, praise God, you obtained mercy. Praise God. He kept it on your behalf. So it is counted unto you. Now, um, in Exodus 32, the Ten Commandments were given to the people. And what did they do? Immediately, they broke them. After they had boasted, 
Whatever God tells us to do, we'll do it. So he gave them the Ten Commandments, and immediately they broke them. What are they? By the, the Ten Commandments, First Commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make of yourself any graven images. What did they do? They, they made a gold calf and started worshiping this thing. Immediately. They, they did it before Moses even, yeah, they didn't even wait. Before Moses could even get down off the mountain with the tablets of stone, they had already crafted this calf and started worshiping this thing. You see, and when we begin to boast in our self-effort, we're going to be just like they were. We're going to break the commandments immediately. Now, get, get this. We are not under the ministry of death anymore, but we are under the ministry of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for me, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. Praise God. In Exodus chapter 14, the, you if you'll notice something, prior to the time that the Ten Commandments were given, nobody died from breaking a commandment. Nobody. In Exodus 14, they complained, and what did God do? They complained, well, you brought us out here in this wilderness to die. I mean, that's what they accused God of. He said, you brought us out here in this wilderness to die. So how did God respond to that? Did he respond by killing them? No, he responded by parting the Red Sea. So they walked across on dry land and were delivered from their enemies. Praise God. Exodus chapter 15. They went a day's journey into the wilderness and there was no water, so they started complaining. And Once again, you brought us out here to die. And so there, were wa there was water there, but the water was bitter. So what did God do? How did he respond to their complaints and their murmuring and their wanting to go back to Egypt and all this kind of stuff? How did he respond to that? He said, told Moses, he said, cut down this tree and cast it into the water, and the water was made sweet. He gave them water. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. They complained because they were hungry. They didn't have anything to eat. So what did God do? How did he respond? In Exodus chapter 16, he gave them quail and he gave them manna to eat. Nobody died, though they were complaining against the Lord. In Exodus chapter 17, you get this, 14, they crossed the Red Sea, 15, they complained, 16, they complained, 17, they're complaining again. They complained because there was no water. So what happened? God tells Moses, he says, take your rod that you held out over the sea when the sea parted, take that rod and strike the rock. And he struck the rock, water came out of the rock. He provided for them. Again, nobody died. But when he gave the Ten Commandments, from that day on, 
God began to shift and to change the way that he dealt with them and began to deal with them instead of on a basis of grace. Why did he give them, why did he cross or, or open the Red Sea? Why did he give them fresh water? Why did he give them quail and manna? Why did he give them water out of a rock? Because he was dealing with them on the basis of grace. They were griping and complaining, but the grace of God made up for their complaining and he, he took care of them. But the day that they received the Ten Commandments, the day they said, we'll do everything the Lord tells us to do. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. We can do this. The day they began to boast in their self-effort, what happened? That day, 3,000 died. But praise God, God had a plan. He sent Jesus and on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. Praise God. 3,000 were added to the church that day. Why? Because God got to return to grace. When they said, we're going to do everything you say, he said, all right, here's the law, keep it. They couldn't keep it, so the penalty of the broken law came upon them. 3,000 died. But at the day of Pentecost, Jesus had risen from the dead. God had sent the Holy Spirit after Jesus had returned to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. And that day, he gave life to 3,000. Don't think that grace is better. Oh, I'm here to tell you grace is better. Praise God. You know, I've tried to live under law. I wasn't very good at it either. But praise God for grace. Hallelujah. See, because grace is not based on my goodness. Grace is based on his goodness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He perfected me, flawed me in his eyes. He perfected me by grace. For by grace I am saved through faith. And that not of myself, it is the gift of God, not of work, lest anyone should boast. I'm not going to be boasting I can keep all the commandments. No, I'm going to be boasting that Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf. And I believe upon him. I believe what he has done. And when I bring the tithe into the storehouse, I'm bearing witness that I believe that he lives. Hallelujah. Praise God. So... If you don't think the tithe is important, think about what it's saying in heaven when you bring the tithe. Hallelujah. I believe he provided for me. I believe even when I murmur and complain, he still provides for me. Praise God because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you have never received the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that you have never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Praise God. Right now is the perfect time. There will never be a better time than right now at this moment for you to receive the grace of God, the gift of grace, the gift of righteousness. With that gift, with that grace, comes the gift of righteousness to be in right standing with your Father God.
Praise God. And if you believe the things that I've told you today, Jesus went to the cross and he paid for all of your sins and he rose again from the dead and everything changed. And how you obtain right standing with God is by believing upon him. Praise God. Praise God. So I want to lead you in a prayer and I want to ask everyone to pray this with me. Whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And when we get to the end of this, we're going to say amen. The word amen means so be it. Praise God. And so at the moment that you say that, if you believe what you just prayed, the Bible says you will be saved. Hallelujah. At that exact moment, you will pass from death to life. You will pass from the ministry of death to the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. So let's pray this together. Say, God in heaven, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me and that you raised him from the dead so I could have new life. Having paid for all of my sins, he took the penalty for my sins so that I wouldn't have to take it. And because he now lives, I can live also. And I put my trust in him, not in my self-effort. I put my trust in what he did. Thank you, Jesus for paying the penalty for me. I receive the life you offer right now. Amen. We value you, and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website, and we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus, and I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us, and remember that God is madly in love with you.